0: Okay, so we're continuing in Proverbs. We're in chapter 11. All right, so I'm going to, uh, we'll be focusing from verse 16 forward. I want to remind a little bit of the context, so we'll be reading from verse 14 and we'll go down. So we'll read to the end of the chapter. Chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11, starting at verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. He who is surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is the lovely woman who lacks discretion. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly will. And the sinner. All right, so last time, the, when we, we finished out, what we saw at the beginning of the chapter uh, 11 was verses 1 to 8 was talking about security through honesty and righteousness, that, that that was a policy, that you could obtain security through honesty and righteousness. Verse 9 was a linking verse between the section before and the section after. And so it talks about security against evil words by knowledge. So when you gain wisdom, when you have knowledge, you're able to have security against evil words, against slander, against cursing, against the falsehoods that are presented. And so that was the focus there. And verses 10 through 15, we're talking about the words in community, how they, how they have an effect, what, what speaking... Does in community. And so uh, we kind of ended with verse 14, focuses on we talk about the idea of republic and councils and how council is best given in councils. And we talk about Presbyterian form of government and the idea of representational councils in the civil government being the type of government that encourages that. And so you think about in your own private life, in terms of your household, Uh, the building of your state, engaging in things. How do you build your life to get it so you have a multitude of wise counselors? And so you have to invite counsel in. You have to be humble. You have to not bite people's heads off when they give you criticism. And so when that happens, when you make it so that it's easy for people to criticize you, you'll have a miserable life. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. You will have have wonderful counsel and its delight. So... What happens is you get criticism, and you need that. Now, it's not fun, right, when you get criticism, when you open it up, when people feel comfortable telling you about things that you're doing wrong. And my hope is that someday I will do some things right, and uh, we'll hear about it. I'm kidding. You guys are very kind to me. But so, verse 15 he who is surety for a stranger will suffer but one who hates being surety is secure so being slow to make promises slow to make deals and we talked about this morning when we were talking about Romans 12 how you have to make commitments in order to get yourself to be obligated to go and do things but you also need to avoid overcommitting so i'm figuring out the second part and i'm doing a lot of the first part and figuring out how to avoid overpromising is a big part of that. But getting initiative, rolling, is also very important. So, balancing those two things. So, we are starting into the new part. This is where we, we kind of broke off, and we now begin into verse 16. And so the section here is verses 16 to 22, which is about seeking the good of neighbor in community versus ill will towards the neighbor in community and the results of them. And so, what we see is that this goodwill towards the neighbor, seeking the good of the neighbor, brings rewards. And so, self-sacrifice is sort of paradoxically put forward as the mechanism by which you actually profit yourself. And so, what we're going to see as we move further down, uh, verse twenty, verse twenty-two is a bridge verse and then verses 23 through 27 focus on this paradox in a more um, intensive way and as we get through verse 28 through 31 there's an emphasis on the certainty of gain and loss in the sense of both the providential workings of God but also in terms of the last judgment so the blessings of benevolence and community, the curses of malevolence in community then verse 22 is the bridge 23 through 27 the idea of your desires and the paradoxical fulfillment of them by things that don't initially seem to advance them and then the certainty of gain or loss in the last section. So that's the outline. So, verse 16. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. So these two verses are a couplet. And if we jump back to chapter 3, verse 3, you'll find that there's similar collection of words chapter 3 verse 3 and, and 4 it says let not mercy and truth forsake you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man now mercy is his said and so keep your finger here okay go to chapter 3 you Now, verse go back over to uh chapter 11 at Verse seventeen, he talks about the merciful man. So this, the man who has a said, okay, so that's that's mercy. Um, and then the gracious woman. So the woman who has grace. That's hen. Okay, and so back over here in chapter three, um, the idea of and so find favor, so find hen and high esteem in the sight of God and man. These verses have a remarkable overlap with the sections we're looking at today. And so, let not said let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find hen, favor of grace, and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So the idea that God blesses these things and also humans tend to favor them. And so, verse 16, chapter 11, verse 16, a gracious woman retains honor. Now, let's skip over the part about the ruthless man. The merciful man does good for his own soul. So, a woman who is gracious, who knows how to behave in such a way to display beauty of soul, she retains honor. The merciful man, in in being merciful, does good for his own soul. Now, this idea of, of the soul, uh, this is nefesh, which in the beginning in Genesis, this idea of, of God took the dirt, and there's the, the breath, and then there's the union, which is the nefesh. Uh, in this particular place, I think we're talking about literally the inward man. But at the same time, even though being merciful helps you to have your soul rightly ordered, there are external blessings, which is also the broader context. And so, when you're merciful, you are doing good to yourself. Now, this is weird to have the gracious woman and the merciful man... Being said that there's goodness that curse to them, there's honor and there's good to his own soul. we have the ruthless man is said to retain riches. now um, the word ruthless there is a word that overwhelmingly is used to refer to sort of a a violence cruelty type of thing. but there are a few places where this word is used in a pretty interesting way. One of them is jeremiah twenty verse eleven. And it applies it to God. Okay, so Jeremiah 20, verse 11. It says, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Now that word awesome there is that same word that's translated back there as the ruthless man. Okay, so, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed For they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. So what we have to look at here is we go, you know, the retaining of riches. Is this done through kind of a mightiness, uh, a, a violence, not in the sense of just like violent evil, but this sort of vigor to get stuff done? Or is this talking about the idea of how if you're a jerk it will help you to be able to knuckle people under to get what you want. Now, both are true. Both are true. And so, we we see there's sort of these groupings of antithetical parallelisms, right, where there's A and then non-A and things are said to contrast them. So we have... A gracious woman retains honor, but a ruthless man retains riches. A merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. But retaining riches... what What's the negative part of that? Now, if we try to put a positive construction here, what we've got is essentially... The gracious woman will retain honor, and honor is more valuable than wealth. We've already we've been told that in Proverbs. we told that in multiple places. Um, and so, but, you know, the vigorous effort of a man, sort of a, a, a mighty man engaging, he can retain riches. And so the question there could sort of be which is more powerful? The gracious woman and her ability to gain honor or this man who is, vigorously engaged in trying to retain riches. Uh, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Now, there are passages in Proverbs that talk about how it's possible to work and to not have sorrow and have wealth given to you from God. But this sort of continuous effort that could be exhausting a sort of ongoing violence of the soul to retain riches, you can wear yourself out in the pursuit of wealth. And so the the Septuagint takes a positive construction of this and essentially makes it into an honorable thing. But I think the the parallelisms with the negative contrast makes it difficult to hold on to that. And so when we get down the line, we're going to see that there's this idea of the curse of putting your trust in wealth. And so the gracious woman gets something better. She retains honor. But the violent man in, can retain his riches in terms of his sort of ruthlessness, his, his violence, his jerk-likeness. But the merciful man does good for his own soul, and he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. I think that Looking at it in terms of those negatives is what's being presented. So the negative behavior of the man is contrasted with the good behavior of the woman. And furthermore, when you look at this text broadly, remember verse 22 is a sort of hinge? The gracious woman, I think, is contrasted with the opposite. Verse 22 As a ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a lovely or beautiful woman who lacks discretion or taste. Now, the taste there helps to bring out the pun a little bit better. Okay, This is, this is, let's think about this for a second. Verse 22 contrasted with the gracious woman. Gracious woman would be one who has the inward beauty of wisdom. On the other side, we have the outward beauty without the inward beauty. The gracious woman retains honor, but the beautiful woman without discretion is like a gold ring on a swine's snout. Now, Jews, what do they think about pigs? So, this gold ring, unclean, a woman without discretion who's beautiful. Unclean. This is a way of referring to being a harlot. So the idea that you're not going to have a a being beautiful but not having discretion is going to make it so that you tend towards immoral behavior. And we've already seen the harlot, the discussion of her. The The... the Beautiful woman who lacks discretion or taste. Okay, so what does a pig do when it's rooting around, right? There's a gold ring, it's on the snout, and what do pigs do with their snouts? They root around. And are they particularly well known for their good taste in food? Or do they eat things that perhaps a person of discerning tastes would reject? Okay, so the lovely woman, the beautiful woman who lacks taste who lacks discretion the ability to discern and differentiate between things and the root word here in the hebrew actually does have to do with the sensation of taste okay but it's used for discretion that's a proper way of using it and so the pun is there and discretion is the intended thing to be communicated with the pun being present so a beautiful woman who does not have discretion she doesn't know How to be gracious. She doesn't know how to dress in such a way as to give herself honor, how to speak in such a way as to retain honor, how to behave in such a way as to retain honor. She is like a gold ring on an unclean beast that roots around in the mud. And so, this rooting around is a waste of the gold, and it's a tarnishing of the gold. And so the beauty is wasted. The gracious woman retains honor. Now, the ruthless man retains riches, and we're going to see explanation of how that's not fitting. Now, the merciful man does good for his own soul, and this is going to be explained as we go down as well. This is going to be given to us in more and more forms. It's going to be expanded upon. The wicked man does deceptive work. Verse eighteen. When we talk about the cruel troubling his own soul, the bottom of verse seventeen, probably troubling his own flesh, he's not intending to do that. He's doing it to get his own money or to get his own station. But the cruelty is is for power. It's for his own station. It's for money. It's for something he wants to get. Verse 18, the wicked man does deceptive work. But he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Now think about sowing righteousness. Sowing righteousness. You you plant something into the ground, and you have to wait for the reward. There's a time. And at the same time, when you plant, you don't expect to get a one-for-one return. You don't expect to get a two-for-one return. You expect to get 30 or 60 or 100-fold. And so, the sowing of righteousness brings a sure reward. When you plant grain into the ground, there's not a sure reward. This is better than farming. This is a better return than any other investment. The doing of righteousness yields a sure reward. But the wicked man does a deceptive work. His deceptive work is he's pursuing something that he wants He's pursuing something he thinks is good for him. Pleasure, power, money. He's, He's pursuing something he thinks will be good. and He's using means of his own devising as opposed to the law of God. And in doing so, he is in fact harming himself, whereas the merciful man does good for his own soul. The cruel man troubles his own flesh. The ruthless men retain riches And they think they do themselves good, but it's a deceptive work. Even a woman who's gracious retains honor. Is this a looking down on women? No. Are women as powerful as men? And in a time where there's not mechanical force, the strength difference between men and women is pronounced and important. Men have Roughly double the upper body strength of women in most cases, similar sizes. The gracious behavior of the woman retains her honor. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Now, the righteousness it has a sure reward. It leads to life. He who pursues evil, he who chases evil, he who runs after evil, pursues evil to his own death. And so this is explaining the deceptive work versus the sure reward. This deceptive work, it has an object in mind. It accomplishes some things in the short term, which is why people say it works. It's being pragmatic. just Getting things done. But the pursuit of that evil is the pursuit of one's own death. And so again, Proverbs teaches us repeatedly that the only pragmatic thing to do is to obey the law of God. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Okay, so the perverse heart, those who are of a perverse heart, an abomination to God. And as a result, beginning of verse 21 though they join forces and it's literally though they be hand in hand though they be united right? let's think about Babel let's think about Nimrod's empire any empire that is wicked even when it's united the wicked will not go unpunished why? because they're an abomination to the Lord and he's more powerful than their united strength now union gives a lot of power unity gives power Unity gives power. Think about that in contrast to diversity initiatives, by the way. Unity gives power. (coughs) Unity gives power. Now, if unity gives power and God defeats the unified power of the wicked, and he finds the perverse in heart to be an abomination what do we expect the contrast to be? Well, the blameless in their ways are his delight. The posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Now, the blameless in their ways, what causes a man to be blameless externally? Right. Remember the, the obligation of an officer to be blameless, which doesn't mean sinless. What does it mean? It means he doesn't have outstanding charges that are... Going unrepented of, or they're not being resolved. Right? He's good at conflict resolution. So he doesn't have outstanding charges that are credible. So those who are blameless in their ways, who seek to be at peace, who seek to resolve conflict as it arises, who seek to do righteousness, who are merciful. Right? If you're good at conflict resolution, you're merciful because you can always find something to keep fighting about. Well, you know, there was also this thing that you did in the process, and I can see it in your eyes. Right. And so that problem of not being merciful will make it so that you're always in conflict resolution. And so the blameless in their ways are the delight of God, and because that suggests a purity of heart. And this is... God doesn't have to look at your works to know what your heart is like. But guess who does? Community. Other people, in order to understand your heart, they hear what you say, and they see what you do, and that gives evidence for it. And so, we have the blameless in their ways, or the delight of God, and as a result, the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Now, the joining of forces is concentrating people in a particular place at a particular time. Posterity is diffuse. You can't typically join forces with your posterity because you're dead. But the idea that God will take your strength that's broken out, that's diffused, and he will preserve it. So even without concentration, which is a principle of war, you concentrate your forces to be able to take a decisive point If instead there's a spread outness across time and distance, God will still preserve the righteous. So, the righteous are protected even though all of the natural and ordinary means be against them. And that's why? Because it's God's delight to see blameless men on the earth. Now we have the, the, the bridge. As a ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks taste. And so, whereas graciousness in women retains honor and helps to create unity and helps to make it so that there's a benevolence that gives reward and power, wickedness shatters strength and takes the beautiful things and makes them ugly, makes them useless, makes them worthless. And so we go into verse 23 and we talk about the paradoxical fulfillment of desires. 23 through 27. So let's look at this as a little chunk. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Wrath. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul, and this is literally the, the soul that like bestows blessing, will be made rich or fat. The generous soul will be made fat. And he who waters, say drenches, will also be soaked himself. So, verse 26, the people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who earnestly seeks good, finds favor. You could say seeks favor. So he who earnestly seeks good, seeks favor. And remember back in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, the idea that you seek the favor and high esteem of God and man when you have mercy and truth and seek to do what God commands. So The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who earnestly seeks good seeks favor, but trouble will come on him who seeks evil. And the word trouble there is raw, which just means evil. And that's why you probably see the word evil at the end is in italics. Where do they get that from? Well, from the word that's evil earlier. So, evil will come to him who seeks evil. The word play kind of gets destroyed when you make it trouble. So, this here, the paradoxical element. The desire of the righteous is only good. The expectation of the wicked is wrath. So, the desire of the righteous is is good, right? They, They want what's good because they understand what's good and therefore they desire it. And because of that, they get what's good. Whereas the expectation of the wicked is they expect to get what they're chasing. But they're view of what's good is wrong and so they're chasing evil and we just saw that earlier he who chases evil pursues it to his own death they're chasing stuff they think is good and they're likely to even get it the ruthless man retains riches but in chasing evil the expectation is the wrath of God and so they need to be undeceived about their foolishness. They need to be undeceived about what they're chasing down. And the interesting thing is that Satan's power to deceive the nations has been removed in the strength that it used to be. He is bound as the gospel goes forth. and So we have the power, we have giftings, and we have the message to undeceive them. And so we need to help them to see how their view of the good is foolish, which means when you meet people who are chasing pleasure, power, money, you need to be well-equipped to show them how what they're chasing is dissatisfying. And it can be really fun if you know how to do it well. You can be at lunch and you can have passing comments that totally undermine their entire initiative in life. <laughs> Turn them into like nihilistic, ennui teenagers. You know, this, this effect. So, so the, the power to be able to communicate to them the disappointing nature of their God. Can be done almost flippantly, and so having a good ability to critique. Well, you can't take it with you, right? So, yeah, power frustrating, right? The more you get of it, the less you can actually control things because you have all these subordinates, and and you just get frustrated. You have power, but you can't actually exercise the power, anyways. Pleasure, right? You you're chasing it and you can't get it. You're frustrated. You get it, and then you're bored, right? Those kind of quick things to just tear that down. That God goes away real quick. If they think about that at all, their God will become disappointing. And so, that ability to tear it down, right? The book of Ecclesiastes is the God-given manual for critiquing false views of the good. The book of Ecclesiastes is the God-given manual for critiquing, critiquing false views of the good. And so Solomon goes back and forth to examining the view of the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God as the good, versus other things. And people say Ecclesiastes is a depressing book. It sure is. And you can make these people depressed learning from the best of them. Solomon knows how to make people depressed by seeing how their gods are worthless. So that's the work there is to help these people to see that the God they're chasing is not worth chasing. The expectation of the wicked is wrath. And so we need to show them, look, even if they get what they want, that will be hell to them. Verse 24, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. So, when you scatter, you... Expect to reap what you sow. And the scattering here, you think about this idea of scattering seed, right? Methodical planting of seed in order is different from just throwing seed out. If you just throw a seed out, I want you to think about this as a farmer for a second. You just throw seed out randomly into a field, okay? How efficient is that growth going to be? Right. The, the, the roots of things will collide with each other. The, the, the Total inefficiency. You're going to waste lots of land. There's going to be empty space. There's going to be overly full space. So just this kind of scattering, giving it out, being generous, just giving things out. God will use that to increase more. And there's one who withholds, who doesn't give, who is stingy, very carefully marshals every grain more than he should, for being honest. And it leads to poverty. The generous soul, one that bestows blessing, the one that gives, will be made fat. And he who... Drenches, the word there for waters is sort of the idea of like taking an arid place and filling it with water. Okay? He who fills the arid with water will also be watered himself. He'll be, he'll be soaked. And so this idea of, of, of quantity in terms of the you take something that's arid and you cause it to be saturated and you'll be soaked. So, being generous, giving water, results in fatness and soakedness, quenchedness. Now, the people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. I've pointed this out a few times, but I love it, so you're going to hear it again. It's not he gives it away, it's he sells it. Selling is a service. You take stuff and you sell it to people, it's a service. And that service is what's blessed. And it's a service that's profitable to him too. The idea is as opposed to hoarding, he is selling it and getting capital. He is is selling and he's putting more goods into circulation. And in the selling, he profits So when you do work and you sell it, it's a good work. Doing profitable work is a good work. And so, in serving, you generate value. We talked about this in Romans 12 today. In serving, you generate value. And in producing more value, that's what results in you getting more rewarded. God blesses it. People favor it. It results in a... Community blessing. the people around you are better off. So verse 27 ends the section, "He who earnestly seeks good seeks favor. That's what's just been explained up there. And but evil will come to him who seeks evil. And so the book of Proverbs is helping you to know the difference between what's good and what's evil so you can seek the right thing. The idea here is if you don't have discretion, if you don't have discernment, if you don't have wisdom, if you don't know the definition of what's good, then you're going to pick false goods. And so what's happening here is an unveiling of your eyes, a removal of scales so that you see reality as it really is. Here's how things work. You bless people, you will be rewarded. You give when people need something it's going to result in you getting more back. People have a demand, sell to it. They will thank you for it while you make a profit. So you can see this is very similar to many books you might have read about entrepreneurship. Because the Bible teaches capitalism... All over the place. Is there someone who's a neighbor who needs something and you have a skill to fulfill it and you can profitably give that and resolve their problem? Do it. And so capitalism takes self interest, the biblical system for taking self interest, making it more obvious by putting a price tag on it and calling people with prices. To do things. Prices are the most useful signal in economics. Prices are the most useful signal. Because they tell you, if you can get me this, you will get that. And so, prices are the command signals of of the economy. Because what it costs to do something versus what you can get paid for it tells you the most valuable thing you can do. cost versus the selling price is the most valuable economic signal and it shows you where there's a need for service that's what markets are for and so the Bible talks a lot about the gates and the idea of the marketplace there and what happens is the selling place, the marketplace is the place of the exchange of opportunities to serve And so the telling people of the cost of things, the price of things, the market exchange, the stock exchange is just a highly efficient mechanism for saying, I want to sell this, I want to buy this, and people get to serve each other at basically the speed of light now with the bid-ask system. And so that's what's discussed here. Now, to round out the chapter, verse 29, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Another thing about economics, inheritance. If you disorder, if you trouble your own house, you'll inherit the wind. Because the household, the bet in Hebrew, the oikos in Greek, right? This, the household is the unit where wealth is produced. You work together as a team. You divide labor to generate wealth. Young people, do you want wealth? Serve your house well and make sure you inherit something worth getting. If you work in your house to see things orderly and beautiful, the response will be that your parents will say, you are a reliable young person with vigor and strength. I am going to give you resources so that you can make more money, which will result in your blessing and it will result in the blessing of your home. The more responsibility you take on, the more effectively you serve your house, the more you can be trusted by your parents with resources. And by the way, the most likely people to give you resources are certainly your parents. And so making sure your parents see you as a reliable servant who produces value is the best way for you to advance your station in life. However, if you prefer to not inherit things and instead get the wind, you could trouble your own house and you would be able to guarantee that. So, if you want to inherit something more than the wind, don't trouble your house, serve your house. The fool who troubles his house will be servant to the wise in heart because he will not be a trouble to his house. He will generate value in his house. He will have money and the poor is servant to the rich. And so, God makes sure these things happen. He controls the way things work. He knows about reality because he made it. And he's told us about it in the book of Proverbs the rest of Scripture. Verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. But when you are righteous, the fruit you produce, what you put out, the words you speak, the actions you, you make, the ordering that you produce is a means of life to other persons. Right? The tree of life is a sacrament that points to spiritual life. That's what it was. It was a sign of the covenant, given in the Garden of Eden, and it points to spiritual life. And the righteous are a... Sign of wisdom, a sign of spiritual life, and what they do. The words they speak, the actions they take, the institutions they build are a tree of life. It it leads other people into spiritual life and to order. It's been said that institutions are the shadows of great men. If we believe in the biblical order of republic, what kinds of shadows can councils cast? If institutions can be made by great men, what can a council of the righteous do? God will give it strength. If, If the diffused strength of the righteous across generations is something God will preserve, what will he do if the church gathers and perfects the saints and they work together? What will that do? Not just be preserved, but it will conquer. And he's sworn to us that he will do that. He's given us an instruction manual of how to manipulate reality. We have the instruction book. Everybody else is fiddling around trying to figure it out. They're using butter knives and screwdrivers and remote controls that don't work for the right thing. No, that's not. No, that's not for that. Oh, that's. Oh, that's dumb. No, that's not for that. That's what the world is doing. Just, just stop and reflect on the culture for a second. That's what they're doing. if that's what they're doing, and we have the instruction manual, we're told how to control reality, and God created the institution of the church for the purpose of gathering and perfecting the saints, then we ought to use those means to draw people in with the tree of life. And that means he who wins souls is wise. The winner of souls, the conqueror of souls. The literal language in the Hebrew is he who takes souls. It's another language of, like, he who takes cities. The conqueror of souls is wise. To win an angry man is more difficult than to take a city. That's why the conquerors of souls, the takers of souls, the winners of souls are wise. They know how to get what's good. and They know what's good, and they know how to get it. And so the work of seeking to draw men in and to showing them the way of life and working with them and seeking to build them up and prosper them, you seek your own good by seeking to bless other people. This is sort of this this capstone element The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. All of this stuff about serving community is coming to this point. You, as a Christian man, ought to work hard and be a good servant because it makes your profession more credible. It makes it so that when you tell people the Lord Jesus Christ is king, they go, yeah, I think you actually believe that based upon the way you behave. And when they see the blessedness of applying the law of God and they see fortitude in the face of testing they see fortitude in the face of discipline and they see you repent when you have failed and you've been called out on it. Who does that? But that's the image we're being transformed after. He who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? Do you think this is the bad life? Then you haven't thought about it very well because there's a reward even in this life for pursuing this. And a lot of that just got explained. And if you think the other life is more fun, chasing after or whatever, there is a reward for the wicked in this life. And it's a terrifying reward. You don't want to be on the receiving end of it. This is not a hodgepodge of verses this is a systematic unveiling of the nature of reality the book of Proverbs is giving us a grid to understand what is real and it helps us to see past all the smoke and to think past the next moment and to be able to think across generations comments, questions, objections from those with speaking rights I think if you're teaching all the recent, uh back to verse 26, you mentioned that selling uh, as a service is a blessing to others. Now, of course, it's understood that as long as that service is not bringing any of God's man laws. Uh, but are there other Ranks or hierarchies as far as what service you provide that is more glorifying more to God that reaps more benefit, uh, such as selling a uh, tool of liberty or, or uh, you know, books that are teaching on God's God's commands uh, versus selling a product that is more for fun or entertainment. Yeah, so your interest in a thing, your talent at it, and the level of competition in it are the most useful things to look at to determine if this is a service worth doing. If you find that the, that the margins in a particular industry are razor thin and you really like it and you're really good at it, maybe you should do it. But maybe also check to see if there's anything you like and are good at that has better margins. Okay, so price is a powerful signal. But interest and talent are other significant ones. Right so the law of God teaches us what's worth doing. And so anything that's within the law of God, and there's going to be things, you know, if you live in a place where there's not enough food, well, that's probably a higher priority than like pink purses, right? So I think there are there's more basic to less basic in terms of what's necessary to flourish. And then there's talent, interest and level of competition. Okay. All right, thank you. Right. great let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask that you would give us wisdom i ask you would help us to be dominion men and women you would help us to show your image by our rational pursuit of the intelligent exercise of authority over the things that you've given to us i ask that you would help us to joyfully use the things you've given you'd help us to beautify the earth that you would cause us to be able to gather our daily bread the things that are necessary for the performance of our duty to deploy them and to be able to see wilderness turn into garden city we pray this in the name of jesus christ amen